This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. The show is growing faster every single week, and I have each of you to thank for it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for all the DMs. Please keep them coming, and thank you for telling us what's resonating with you. I appreciate your ongoing support of the show. I love seeing the growth, and I have each of you to thank for it. And today, we're going to take it up another level. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. This is a person who has all the credentials. He's done the job, he speaks about the job, he writes about the job, and he teaches executives all around the world about how to do the job. The person I'm talking about is Oscar Torres. Oscar is the founder and director of the B2B management program at Asada Executive Education, a wildly successful global program on senior leadership for B2B executives. This program has been growing since 2016 and has trained C-level leaders in some of the most iconic companies in the world. Now, for those that don't know, Asada is a business school ranked number four in the world for executive education by the Financial Times. So Oscar's created something that's become a massive difference maker all around the world. But it's also important to note that Oscar is a practitioner who doubles as an instructor. That's right. He's still the global senior director of channel and sales transformation at Dassault Systems, and he continues to lead them to great success. Oscar's had massive success in helping leaders develop environments that result in better, more predictable, and more scalable businesses. He's advised leaders in over 500 companies worldwide, and as he's done that, he's picked up his share of awards. He's been featured in leading periodicals like Forbes, and he's become one of the top experts in the world around the creation of cultures that result in predictable success. I can't tell you how lucky we are to have Oscar with us today. I'm so excited for this conversation. I can't wait to see where it goes. 
Oscar. Welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to have you. You, you, uh, you're an impressive guy that's done some amazing things. You've got you've got this background that I just can't wait to dive into with fifty thousand leaders all around the world. Uh, why don't you start by just introducing us uh, to you and 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 Asada and what you do for your your clients that you work with? Okay, so. I think it's super relevant to highlight that I'm an engineer, yeah. uh, which uh, in some way it uh, it really affects the way I approach uh, business. And um, one of the things, uh, you know, I, I can share with you my my history uh, on the lecturing and teaching thing, right? I start teaching because it was my way to organize my mind and the concepts around the things I, I was doing on my daily activity, right? I grew up in an scale-up. It was an American scale-up called SolidWorks, and it was a great sales school. But um, at the same time, I really like, uh, I really like to, to, to teach. is always helping you guys to organize the ideas. You get many questions from, um, from people doing the, the, the job, right? And... Um, in one point, I realized that teaching sellers was not enough. Those sellers that you were teaching, they were they had a horrible management that they didn't understand anything. And uh, one day, I, I stopped teaching. I stopped just teaching sales, and uh, it took me like two years of 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 uh, of um, stop doing that. And once I I, I came back to the to the to the topic. I decided that it was nothing around the world to develop C level on how to approach relationship between uh, companies in a way that uh, it was a, a great uh, reflection on how we are organized as a companies and how we behave as a companies to produce a better, more predictable and scalable business. And this is what I'm doing in Estade since uh, six years. I have to say that we have done 23 editions. And frankly speaking, Rob, when I started with this program, uh, I had this feeling that it was just my opinion, right? I, I was sharing my opinion with somebody. Interesting, People, yeah. Yeah, it was, I have this syndrome of, I, perhaps I'm lying these people, but and and then the good news of exposing your ideas to 500 companies are the questions. They start making questions. They start double checking those concepts, cross industry, different size of companies, and 23 editions after I feel a little bit better that perhaps there are some good models behind on how to approach and how to organize the B2B company and how which kind of culture we have to, um, to, uh, to really uh, um, have in the, in the B2B companies to have a predictable result and, and to really uh, be uh, more scalable as a company. Long answer. I love it. No, I, I love that. And what I love is that it was based in what you've done. And so it's it's not like a theoretical approach. It's a very practical approach based on what you've done and then and then replicated in 500 other organizations. And and so I, I love that. Thank you for that background and 
And, uh, and one last thing before we dive into this practical approach, like you said, you yourself are a sales leader. You, you, you've made sure that you stay active and practicing. How'd you get started in sales? Like really quickly, what, what was it that got you into the world of sales leadership? That's always fun for our listeners to hear. Uh, I think it was an accident. You know, I was, uh, as an engineer, I start in, uh, in the industry. I was an industrial engineer. I start in automotive, then I moved to Coca-Cola, then I was expat in China, then I was back from China, and then I, I thought I need to move to the software industry because software industry will compete in a better way with cheap, uh, um, cheap uh, cost of labor, and then I moved into the, into the software business. And the main reason why they hired me in the software business, I, you know, I didn't start as a sales guy. I started as a okay. pre-sale, as a pre-sales guy. I was supposed Let's to go. be, the, I was supposed to be the techie, but, I, but very fast, my boss saw that I was, I was the worst techie in the world and probably a good consultant to understand the context of the clients. So like in one year, I moved to another position, which was much more related to uh, understand and analyze the context of the client. And two years after I moved to the sales management position and then to the country management position. So it was a little bit an intentional accident. <laughs> I love it. That's the, by the way, that's really common in four and a half years of doing this show. I'm finding that most people are accidentally involved, but intentionally successful. And so that's, that's like a common theme. So thank you for sharing that. Let's dive in, man. You're in the world, as, a, as you were introducing yourself and what you do at Asada, uh, I, I wrote down a word already. I'm already like a third of a page in my first page of notes. The word that you wrote that I've circled is predictability. It sounds like you're in a world of trying to create predictability in a world that's becoming increasingly unpredictable. And so how, how I guess I, I'd be interested in your, your like, what lenses do you look through? I know you keep, you've referred to a B2B, that's where you are. And is, is the B2B versus B2C like lenses totally different in creating predictability? And, and then I'd really love to start saying, when you want to create predictability, where do you look, man? How, how does a, a leader start saying, let's create predictability in an un unpredictable world? I think that um, I, I always tell to my team, let's manage what we can manage. And we cannot manage what we cannot manage. I mean, you cannot manage the geopolitical situation. You cannot manage the inflection, right? But you can manage the way you are organized. You can manage how much intentional you are. You can manage the amount of uh, in people you interview every month as a sales leader. You can manage a bunch, a bunch of things. And I think that going into the predictability topic, I think that you will never be predictable if you don't reflect on how to do a better business. It's not mm. about selling more. It's about making better business. And for me, the bet to, to do a better business, it requires to reflect and to be absolutely conscious that we are in B2B. One of the big problems I had in my life, I'm an engineer, I went to a business school, not to a SADE, and I was highly educated on B2C. 
product price plays promotion. And I was thinking, right. this doesn't work to sell my software to a CTO that has to take the risk to trust me. It doesn't work. And I start thinking B2B is different. And the fact that uh, the fact that leaders, they don't, they are not conscious about the fact that this is different, it creates a huge problem. Because can you imagine what a leader is doing? A leader is building an organization. It's, it's, creating, um, it's creating a team uh, to deliver a number, right? If the leader yes. is not crystal clear about why B2B is so different, the, the organization and the team and their behavior is not going to be uh, is not going to consider those differences. So every time I talk to anybody, I start by the key key difference between B2B and B2C. And for me is the fact that decision makers are risk takers. They don't buy a product. They do risk management. And the fact that they do risk management means that they are not buying even a solution. They are considering if they want to take the risk to buy your solution, your company, and from yourself. So trust, trust it's becoming uh, the real currency to mitigate the risk to work with us. And this, this uh, so simple uh, detail, it has huge implications if the CEO in the company has this in mind or not. Because you can build a company that produce predictable trust. And you can do the opposite. You can build processes that produce trust or not. You can hire people that communicate trust or not. You can do a marketing that contributes to this trust with content or not, right? So I always do the same joke, right, uh, Rob? Sometimes, nice. sometimes we have pain in our hands. We do everything around the hands, but the problem comes from our neck. We have pain in our numbers. We do sales training for the sellers. And the problem is not sales training for the sellers. The problem perhaps is that the CEO needs to reflect the way we are organized, the, the, the type of processes we have, the type of data we are gathering, and which kind of culture we really reinforce in our organizations that really contributes with value to our clients. And that's a little bit my fight. Eh? That's my passion. It's a uh, it's, uh, business. I have like a mantra, right? Seller has okay. to sell. Seller has to sell. Sales managers make sellers. And CEO creates the conditions. And if, and if these three things doesn't happen in parallel, you have a problem. If you don't have a CEO creating the conditions in a B2B uh, in a B2B company, if you don't have a sales manager focused on making sellers, and for sure, if you don't have sellers selling, you have a you have a big problem, right? And not always this happens. Mm. All right, so I love this. You've you've thrown out 
four or five places we can go. Every one of these things is really interesting. I love what you talked about trust as a currency. I really love the idea that you can build a company that builds predictable trust. I want to dive into that. But maybe I go to the one level higher than that because you mentioned it. So I want to go back to it. This idea of culture, this idea of, of predictability through culture. Um, what is the role of culture and how does it create that predictability? Um, I, I uh, you know, um, in the academic world, it's hard because you have these gurus that they are like... Uh, they are like a stone in, in your way sometimes. And they are there. You cannot remove. And one of these gurus that, that, that never worked for me, it's Cutler, right? The marketing mix. Okay. Product price plays promotion. It doesn't work, guys. For, for B2B, it doesn't work. It's not about right. the product. It's not one product at one price in one place with a promotion. Uh, we we don't sell products. We fix problems. We don't have a price. It's about our capability to offer a value that really fits with the context of the clients. We don't need a place. We go to visit you. <laughs> and uh, we don't need a promotion. We don't need a promotion. Nobody is going to take the risk to work with you um, if for them, it's not crystal clear. They can trust you. So Mr. Cutler doesn't work in B2B. And I don't want to be arrogant, but then I create my own mix, <laughs> which is the mix of Mr. Torres, which is what I call the B2B mix. And the B2B mix, for me, the three elements that really, really, really work in B2B are solution, company, and people. Solution, solution. company. Company, company and people and people right and uh for me these three elements you have two elements that they are amassed if your solution doesn't bring a value you are out of the conversation do we agree on that right right job Rob? sure yeah, yeah sure if your solution doesn't bring a value no we don't need to talk more more right let's imagine that the solution brings a value what is the next thing that the decision taker is going to take a look? What is the company behind the solution? Okay. If the solution brings a value and the company brings a value, you're still not in because there is one missing point. What, are, what about the people I'm facing while I'm taking the decision? So the third element, the third element is critical. It's really, really critical. If your solution brings a value, your company, it's really, it really backups the solution. But your people, when your people open their mouth, they behave in a way that your, that your clients in front of them, they don't trust them. You have a big potato. You have a big problem. You have a big problem, right? So suddenly, suddenly, then we realize that uh, if we if C-level people in a company, if the CEO in a company don't really uh, manage the way their people facing clients, they behave, the way they, their people facing clients, they behave, 
they have a problem. Let me let me give you an example, which is a perfect explanation for that. Perfect. Um, Let's do it. A uh, few months ago, few months ago, I did I did engineering, and in my class it was like few uh, women. In fact, it, it was two women. One is my wife now. <laughs> okay. And and the and the other one is a good uh, is a good friend, right? And and the other day she pinged me and she listened to me many times, right? And she pinged me and said, hey, Oscar, man, today I thought about your concept of the B2B mix. Oh, yeah, why? Yeah, because, you know, she's in automotive and she said, I had to sign a contract of 1.2 million euro on the preventive maintenance for the assembly line, 1.2 million. According to compliance, I had to consider uh, five different options. So I request some proposals. I rank these proposals into five, and I vote number three in the ranking of solutions. And then can you imagine my question, right? So why number three? Right. It was, number three was fixing the problem. And she said, of course, yeah, number three, number four, and number five. <laughs> For me, men, Solutions are so similar that uh, it was almost hard to me to rank the solutions. You guys, <laughs> sellers, you're very, you very you you are very proud about your solutions, but for me, it's hard to find the difference. And then I return back with another question. Then it was so why number why number three? And she said, because I cannot imagine myself working five years in with this contract with seller number one and seller number two. And that's the drama. You know what is the drama? The CEOs of company number one and company number two, if they are product oriented, they are going to be super arrogant, believing that in the ranking of products, their companies are number one and number two. But the reality is that their people are burning the, the market with their behavior. You see my point? Yeah, I love it. And uh, so company number one and number two, if, they're, if their C-level are B2C oriented, they're going to be very proud about the ranking of their products in the ranking. Right. But the reality is that they have sellers that they are burning accounts on a daily basis in their in their name, <laughs> in their behalf. And that's a drama. You know how much it costs to return back an, to an account once you go there for one once? It's five years. It's three three to five years. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's let's... a it's a sales issue. Or it's a cultural issue. It's a behavioral. So yeah, go ahead. I want to go back to your cultural kind of trifecta. I really like it. It's the solution. It's the company. It's the people. And all of those have to be built on a foundation of trust, right? Yeah. Did, yeah. did I get that right? Absolutely. I, I, think, that, I think this is really cool. I, I, I love frameworks. As, as all of our listeners know, I'm a framework guy. 
And so uh, this is a framework that I want to explore a little bit, if that's okay. Is that is that okay for us to explore that just a little bit? Absolutely, yeah. I want to take those three areas and, you know, solution, company, people, they all like make sense at face value. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to go back to what you said earlier and add that to it. So those three things, you said you can absolutely create a culture or a company that builds predictable trust. Is the way you build predictable trust by creating experiences inside each of those areas? I think I think that um, trust around the solution and around the company, uh, people listening to us and their companies, let's say that they are already doing okay, right? If you take a look the way we position our solutions, the way we do inbound and outbound marketing around the solution, for me, is fine. The way we try to position the company as a company you can trust, this is fine. Where is the, where is the big enchilada, right? Where is the big potato on the behavior of the people? This is where okay. you have to. This is where you have to inspect what you expect, right? So, so do you do we need so, to create like predictable experiences then that that person has yes. to create? Is that yes, is yes, like yes. that's my question? Yeah, and then there, I think I think we miss one point, which is something I use a lot, and this comes from uh, the trusted advisor book, which comes from uh, from um, some academics, and in the trusted advisor book which I, for sure, I recommend the book, but I recommend the equation. These guys, they had, to, and this was, being an engineer for me is important because the first thing I thought was, how do I, how do I measure trust? How I'm going to measure trust? Yeah, how do you do that? I, I can't yeah. wait to learn. Yeah, so these guys, at the day I discovered this equation, it changed my life because these guys said, um, if you want to measure trust between two companies, two people, two professionals, the first thing is that what is going to contribute to trust are three elements, which is credibility, reliability, and intimacy. Say that again. Credibility. Credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And what is going to reduce trust is self-orientation, egoism, right? So think about what is the first thing we do when we do onboarding, not uh, to our sellers, but to everybody in the company. The first thing we do when we do the onboarding to people in a B2B company, we do onboarding on the product, which means that from a trust point of view, we are just producing self-oriented people. <laughs> mm -hmm. The first thing they are going to do is talking about their product, right? That's yes. the first thing they will do. So I think that the first thing, guys, that I advise to you is to reflect what kind of behaviors will communicate credibility. What my, my team it. is doing to look credible. And you know what? Uh, the worst thing you can do in this life is to use the expression, trust me. Every time I listen to somebody telling me, right? trust me, I look for my wallet. <laughs> you, don't you never talk about trust 
you behave in a way that people thinks that they can trust you. Trust, uh, it's, it's super cultural. Your behavior comes from your mindset. Mindset drives behavior, right? So um, if we follow with the equation, the question will be uh, how I can make that my people behaves in a more credible way. And here I like to, I like to give an example for reflection, right? I think that many times we try to position ourselves as very credible through product knowledge. And uh, instead that, I promise you that you will look much more credible from a problem knowledge. If you think about the doctor, the doctor technically, when they do the diagnosis, they are agnostic to the medicine. Yes. They are just looking for the problem. And, and they look very credible to you because, hey, Rob, how are you, man? How did you wake up this morning? How, what, when, when this uh, problem in your head starts? Yeah, it's like 11 a.m. So how this was evolving? Yeah, but 1 p.m. I was feeling really bad. Okay, man, so perhaps you have a problem that you need to put this in your mouth because at night you are doing this pressure and this producing. Grinding your teeth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Oscar, I got to ask you something. You got to let me interrupt, interrupt you. I'm so excited about what you just said. You are dead on. Most people try to achieve credibility through product knowledge. I agree. I think that we should sit in this for a second. I think that you're going to create way more credibility with this problem knowledge, but I'd say it's even one step farther it's because everybody's got lots of problems. How do you prioritize them? It's like this priority of problems. Too. Why? Why do priorities get pro? Uh, why do problems get prioritized? Is that? Tell me. Is that important? Is that? Is that an important part of this credibility? Is how people prioritize things and why? Um, I think that. Um, I think that uh, once again, it's cultural, right? Uh, sometimes, okay. sometimes somebody. Sometimes somebody sends you a request for proposal, right? You have two options. You answer, which means that you are reactive, or you don't answer, but you take your phone, you take your phone and you call them. And instead being reactive to the problems that they already know, <laughs> you open the box in a different angle through a different question. So I don't know. I never know what are the priorities of my clients, but I try to teach my teams, my um, the the attendees to my program in Sade, uh, to really um, implement a culture in their companies. I use the acronym ALOOP: Ask to listen, listen to understand, understand to propose. I cannot propose something if I don't understand. I'm not going to understand if I don't listen. And I'm not, I'm not going to listen if I don't ask questions, right? Mm. A loop, it will never come from a training. <laughs> People in your team will learn to shut up their mouth if you coach them on a daily basis on the field, right? 
I'm not saying sales training doesn't work. I think I have attended to thousand sales trainings in my life, <laughs> but, okay. but they were useless if they were not aligned to the great mentorship I got from my management. So I think that management is first and then enablement comes, but you cannot enable somebody that doesn't have the right management that it's there on the daily activity, just doing the right questions to implement this B2B culture, which is mainly focused on selling is helping. I know I'm putting many things together, but my point is you have the sellers you deserve. Your sellers are a mirror of your sales management. And your sales management is a decision taken by, taken, uh, taken by the CEO. You, have to, you took the decision to have a sales manager which is focused on making sellers, or you took the decision to have an upgraded great seller into an average sales manager. You follow me? Which is something that you. happened yeah. so many times. So many times. Well, you know, I work... I'm a limited partner in a fund, and um, in so many cases, we see in companies that we invest um, in that the big potato in their companies, this is why they don't scale, uh, and the incredible bottleneck is their sales management. They don't mm. have it. They have perhaps good sellers. They don't have uh, the right sales management that for me is people able to produce to, to produce professionals that they are going to behave in a predictable way. And why this predictable behavior is so important? Because this will produce this predictable culture, which will be welcomed in a similar way by the client, you know? My, at yes. the end of the day, the last objective is that you can lose one seller, but the next one, it's going to look different, but it's going to behave in a similar way. So I, I think will, that's really, that's really yeah. insightful that as you look at that, even as an investor, the bottleneck often becomes sales leaders. This, could you, could you maybe sit in this for a minute? Cause we're, we've only got like five more minutes. It's crazy how fast our time's gone. I, I can't believe how fast this has gone, Oscar. When you look at sales leaders that become bottlenecks, which I think is a really great insight for you to for you to share, that sales leaders will become bo bottlenecks. What are the reasons that these this lack of sales leadership, like what are things that like help them create these predictable uh, professionals that have predictable behaviors? Because it's not just as simple as this is what activity management. It's, it's got to be more than activity management. It has to be more than that or else nobody would have the problem, right? I, I, you know, my, my opinion is super straight uh, to the point. Uh, the problem when this happens is the CEO. Interesting. When, when you, Why? yeah, because they don't get the point. They, they, they have a problem with the, with the business and they look to the hand instead looking to the neck, you know, the hand and the neck. Yeah, you said that earlier, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my 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 business doesn't work. 
let's take a look to the seller. Come on, the seller is the last mile, my friend. It's the last mile. The relation, the, the sales process is like that. Rob, it's like that. It's super short. The relationship is like this. Mm. You don't have just, it's, it's not about just sellers. You have all the people in the company. And if, if, this, if the CEO doesn't understand that the sales management position is the most critical position to scale, to make a predictable business and to improve the business, you better look for a different company. Dig it. This is good, Oscar. I like it. Let me let me ask you this then on the flip side of that. So you got 50,000 sales leaders listening to you right now. You have two or three things that you'd say, listen, if you want to create this kind of predictability, if you want to eliminate the bottleneck, if you want to help build this kind of a culture, is there two or three things you'd say, hey, here's some things you should start doing immediately if you're not already? <laughs> yeah, I have like 25 things. Let's choose three. Um, Let's choose three. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's choose. I think that one of my crazy um, concepts, which is um, first concept is people don't listen and your team even worse, <laughs> which means, and, and this, you, you know, you know, I, I've been living in China as expat. I've been in a global position for 10 years already. So I've been everywhere in the world, okay. everywhere, right? And uh, I would say that uh, North America and Europe, they are very similar for that. And the, and the thing is that there is an incredible empowerment to the team, which produce, culturally speaking, a natural rejection to power, which means that your team never listens to you. <laughs> Okay, so what is the point here? Why I'm saying I'm sharing like that? Yeah, so how do you flip that? How do you get them to listen to you? Yeah, so no, no, the question is, if they don't listen to you because they don't listen to anybody, to who they are listening, right? And they are listening to themselves. So stop giving them arguments and start making them the right questions. That's critical in Europe and USA. You will never teach a professional in a first world, let's say, by teaching arguments. They are going to mm -hmm. listen from here. It's going to go, they will forget the day after. The point here is outcome-focused questions. What are the questions you will do to your team to plant the seed of this predictable culture? I'll give you an example. 20,000 years ago, when I joined this scale up, right? My yep. boss, my boss said to me, my boss said to me, every time you leave an account, you call me back. And at that time, I was doing 12, 15 sales calls per week. And I remember thinking, oh my God, every time? And I said to, to, the, to my mentor, yeah, every time is 15 times per week. Are you sure? Yes. What about if I disturb you? No problem. What about if you are busy? I'll call you back. You know what the guy was doing? The guy was systematically asking to me the same question, which was a super stupid question. And I'm sure you guessed the question, but for me, it was a game changer, which was, 
What is their pain? I'm sure everybody in the call knew the question. But what, what was the difference? The difference was the 15, the 15 fast and dirty calls per week. And I still remember my first answer. Okay, Oscar, where you were? Yeah, I was in this uh, company doing uh, these cranes for harbors in the middle of nowhere in Spain. Okay, good. What was their pain? I believe, do you believe or do you know? Okay, I guess, do you guess or do you know? Oh my God. Let me reach, let me go back to the company. I'm still in the parking. Let me double check. And then I had to ring again. I ring again the company and say, I, I check with the CTO. Hey, you told me 5% scrap. It, this was at, at the, the end of the process or at the, at the middle of the process? No, no, it's at the end of the process, Oscar. And I call back my, bo my boss. Hey, yeah, it's a 5% scrap at the end of the process. What happens... What happens if you have a boss that makes you call during 15 times every week, <laughs> making the same simple, stupid question? What is that? You get good at it. You become expert at it. It's, it becomes mindset. And yeah. this is where you are linking with culture. Culture, Rob, it's mindset, behavior, and social patterns. Whatever is the mindset of the CEO becomes to his behavior. And the behavior of the CEO will be observed by the C-level and will become the mindset of the C-level that will translate into the behavior of the C-level. And this is going to go top down, right? So first advice, teach your people by making them questions. Stop, pitching, stop pitching people. It doesn't work. They don't listen to you at least in Europe or in USA. They don't listen to you. Love it. It's you lose your time. First, first uh, concept. Second concept, become a predictable manager. It's great when they know that they are going to call you and you are going to systematically ask the same, you are coaching them in a systematic way and you are predictable. And if they don't do it right, you have to fire them because I, if I'm asking to you, what is their pain, Rob? And I guess, don't guess, tell me, I don't know, Oscar. Okay, great. Come back to the account. No problem. And this is fine for the first call, but this not going to be fine if you do it five times in a row, right? So teach your people with questions and um, try to define a cultural declaration of behavior that you believe your clients will value. And uh, make questions to your team to be sure that they understand this declaration. And based on your questions, you know that they are going to get it. And do it at least for six months. Nothing that is less than six months, everything that is less than six months, it's a fashion, it's not management. Interesting. Anything less than six months is a fashion. I like that. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, yeah, it's, it's not management, man. It's, they are, you know what your people is doing? They are measuring if you're going to give up. They are just, they're trying to see, okay, yeah, Rob already give up. He was asking this for, this for eight weeks, but now he already forgot. Uh, 
quarter Love quarter it. quarter closing and and so on and so on. So what's what? the last one? You have you have one last one. And then we got it. We're out of time, man. But I want to hear your last one. Yeah, the last one. It's um, if um, if uh, I don't know if you know, it's hard to explain. But there is a there is a landscape from Bangkok. There is a and this is this is mainly for the, for the leaders, right? Listening that. Yeah, yeah. There is a there is a landscape from the you know this painter, uh, um, Dutch painter Van Gogh. And okay. uh, I was in Paris with my son David in front of this incredible Van Gogh, and I said I was so so stupid. I said to my my son, "Hey, look at that, David. That's a Van Gogh." And David, you know how kids they are, right? David said, um, "Come on, Daddy, that's a landscape." No, come on, it's a Van Gogh. And my son said, "How do you know? How do you know it's a Van Gogh?" And I start saying, yeah, because the little details, the way that it's built, it makes a Van Gogh. So why I'm explaining like that, the little details of behavior of your people in the field in front of the client makes your company a, a Van Gogh or just another company. If your company looks at like a Van Gogh, thanks to the behavior of your people in front of the client, you will never compete on, by price. If your company looks like- Love it. If your company looks like just like another company, you're going to compete like B2C, product price, place, promotion. <laughs> and you this know, so great. You know who builds the Van Gogh? The Van Gogh, it's um, executed by the seller, enabled by the sales manager, but is the CEO the one that really builds the Van Gogh? We, we, we poor sellers. They are the result of those conditions. And the sales manager does his or her best build creating sellers. But at the end of the day, we have to educate CEOs. And this is what I'm doing in the Southern. 70% of attendees coming to my program that we do it once in English every year, every, every March, we do it in English. 70% uh, they are CEOs or founders of companies and my mission is that they open their eyes and they really think about that they have to fine-tune their organizations and their culture to produce a better more predictable and scalable business oscar you're incredible this has been fun <laughs> i can't believe the time is all the way gone i want to give you one minute just really quickly how how do people get more of you? How do they learn more what you're doing? How do they get access to your resources? How, how do they get your, your the things that you've produced? How do they get more of you? I think you can, uh, first of all, you can go on LinkedIn. Uh, just make a comment that you were listening uh, the podcast of Rob, right? And I will be very happy to connect with you. If you go to my LinkedIn account, you will find all my, my articles published at Forbes. And if you go to the to the website www.esade.edu/b2b, you will find a bunch of spicy videos that are especially for sales leaders. I would not cool. I would not share them. I would not share them with uh, with perhaps uh, with the sellers. I think that they are more dedicated for, for to you. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, we'll take we'll take those links and we'll put them in the show notes. We'll have your LinkedIn page and your website and the link to the to the Super. videos. We'll put those in the show notes and we hope lots of people will go check those out. Uh, thank you for that. You got one one last final thought. Like as you get ready to sign off with fifty thousand sales leaders all around the world, you got one last thing about uh, thoughts around creating predictability in an un increasingly unpredictable world right now. Yeah, I think I think. If you are reporting to a CEO, uh, send to them some of my articles to be sure that they feel the pressure, that they have to create the conditions for you guys to do the job. It's super hard to be a sales leader when uh, CEOs, they don't do the job to create the conditions. Be uh, nicely tough. Sometimes it's just because Nobody told them. They were. They went to a business school. They listened B two C everywhere. You know, uh, ninety percent of the case studies discussed in a business school they are B two C. Seventy percent of the companies in the world they are B two B. There is something broken. Love it. Thank you, Oscar. His name is Oscar Torres. He is helping leaders all around the world have elite impact by creating significant predictability by building teams that create predictable trust. Uh, my advice is to check out the resources that he has. I can't wait to see those videos. Uh, Oscar, thank you so much for giving us an hour of, of your time. And on behalf of a whole lot of sales leaders all around the world, thank you for your time. And I wish you happy selling. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. We are having a different year than we've ever had. And as sales leaders, we are facing new challenges we've never had to face. And as a result, every sales leader needs to find ways to create or more impact with the people we lead. And that's why I created Sales Leadership United. And if there's one thing I learned from Oscar today, it's that we've got to make sure that we keep finding ways to create predictability and trust and connection with those people that we lead and those people that we work with. And it isn't just for the salespeople. We as leaders got to keep updating how we connect and create predictability as well. And that's not easy. It takes intentionality and it takes prioritization to stay fresh, modern and current so you can have high impact. And that's why you need to check out Sales Leadership United. It's the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Members of Sales Leadership United have access to proven trainings, techniques, and tactics used right now to solve leadership challenges by some of the world's most successful sales leaders. With a simple search, you can find sales leadership resources, proven frameworks, modern systems, sales meeting ideas you can use immediately, and much, much more. Systems on any leadership topic you'll ever need are ready for you to tap into at Sales Leadership United. Hundreds of video segments from some of the most successful sales leader in the world are one search away. You can find Sales Leadership United on Patreon, and for less than the cost of lunch, you can have access to more sales leadership materials than you may have ever imagined. New material is released every week, and you will never be operating on old systems as a member of Sales Leadership United. So click the link in the show notes and check out Sales Leadership United today. I love it when we have international guests and Oscar is someone I really enjoyed speaking with because he was all in on two topics I think a sales leader must be intentional about, predictability and trust. Those two things, 
I don't know if you can overdo those two things if you're a leader. For years, I've said that trust is the currency of relationship management. So when Oscar shared his take that trust is the real currency for any business, I knew that he and I were going to have a good a conversation. And when he shared that you can build a company that builds predictable trust, then I knew for sure this was something every listener would be better off for having listened to. I once had a mentor who told me it's better to be trusted than loved. And I've come to find out that, that there's so much truth in that professionally and personally. Listen, trust is difficult to earn and it's super easy to learn. When I work with leaders, one of the very first things we hit is trust. Because as a leader, we must have trust in order to be impactful. In my career, I found there are three elements of trust, the three C's. The first is character trust. This is a measure of a person's integrity. The second is competency trust. This is a measure of their ability to do the job and a measure of their ability to lead. And the third is connection trust. This is a measure of a person's belief that their reader, uh, that their leader has in their best interests in mind. And so trust as a result can only be built through experiences. As Oscar said, if you want to build trust, stop asking for it. You got to earn it. It starts with a mindset and then it goes to the experiences that you create. And so <clears throat> if you can leave this one saying trust is only built through experiences, then a member of your team, and by extension, a customer, they must experience those three things. They must experience your character. They must experience your competency. They must experience your connection. Just today, I had someone that I'm coaching tell me about a very difficult conversation that happened uh, solving an employee problem. And that the leader, some I, I was really like proud papa, this guy that I'm working with said, man, my leader, they handled it like a master. And I realized I'm not at that person's level yet. I have to learn how to handle those things like he can. And so if you can be intentional, you can create experiences that will make people follow you. I want you to treat this like a scientist or an, even an engineer. I want you to think, what experiences do I need to create? What experiences do I need to engineer in order for those you are working with to experience your character, to experience the depth of your competence, or to experience the fact that you have their best interests in mind? Because Oscar's right. You can be intentional about this. Being mindful and thoughtful of the experiences you want to engineer will take your impact up to the next level really, really quickly. An experience-oriented sales process will dominate an activity-oriented one. And I want you to think about what that means for a minute. In the same way, an experience-oriented leadership approach will create night and day differences from an activity management leadership approach, which unfortunately too many people are still focused on. I found that experiences that will create this kind of result <clears throat> are the ones that make people feel like you are one or all three of these things. So if you want to create trust like this, number one, create an experience where they feel like you're honest. Number two, create experiences where they see that you're helpful. And number three, create experiences where they find you to be reliable. If you start to break these down into predictable experiences, you can create or demonstrate um, or have people experience as they interact with you, then you're on your way to building predictable trust. So ask yourself, what are the experiences your team can create so a prospect experiences honesty? What are the experiences your team can create so a prospect experiences helpfulness? And what are the experiences your team can create so a prospect experiences your reliability? These are really easy things to do, and they throw gas on your relationship fire. So I suggest you give Oscar's framework a listen. 
The ALUP framework is a good one. It's simple. It's easy to implement and it works. And I love how Oscar finished our conversation today by giving us three things to do immediately. These are things you can do right now without changing the rest of your operation rhythm. Number one, ask the right questions. He went into great detail about just the importance of, of the right questions and how they should be uh, outcome focused. Okay. Make sure you do that. Uh, and then link that mindset and behavior uh, to their social patterns. It's, it's, it's such a great way to teach. It's such a great way to connect. That leads to number two. He talked about becoming a predictable manager and creating an operating rhythm so the people on your team know what to expect. That, that is going to be so important. Um, it, it's going to make it so you're not just tied to a, a fashion. I, like you said, anything less than six months is a fashion. You want to be an operating system that's that's reliable. And number three, dominate the details, small details. I love the story of the, the Bangkok uh, printing story. Um, go back and listen to those and, and, then, and then implement at least one of them. Listen, this was a fantastic conversation, one I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. This week, schedule some time to reflect on your approach to both trust as a currency as well as predictability. These are things you need to be intentional about. Don't be accidental in trust and don't be accidental in how you create predictability because these are two things that will take you places you can't go unless you have. So Oscar, thank you so much for joining me. I love the angle you shared with both, both trust and predictability because you're right. The currency that matters most is trust. And if we don't have the ability to create predictability, our days as a sales leader are numbered. Those are two things we just can't afford to leave to chance. So thank you so much, Oscar, for being willing to share with our leaders. My advice to our 50,000 listeners, connect with Oscar, check out his resources, reach out to him with questions. We've got links in our show notes to make this easy to do. Trust me, you'll be glad to dive deeper into what Oscar has to offer. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give us is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to Patreon and check it out. You will be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people you lead. If you liked this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it and then get after it this week because life is short. There's no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today, be elite, live strong, and chase your passions and do your best work so you can live your best life. Don't ever forget, you got this and I got you and go have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.